a couple of months ago, the youth, maybe two months, three months ago now, the youth ministry had, uh, here at this church, they, 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 they did a Sunday service where we allowed them to do the service from beginning to the end, preaching the whole nine years. I think it was in March. They did, it, they did one in March. And they did one again a few weeks ago, about two, three weeks ago. We give them a last, every fifth Sunday is Youth Sunday. And they run the whole service from start to finish. And when they did the one in March, <laughs> it was such a huge, refreshing time for us here. So what I decided to do was bring them to the house and just try to commend them for what they've done, spend some time with them, and just hear you know, what's happening in their heads. So at the beginning of that time together, I just allowed them to go around the room, each one identify themselves, and tell me who have been the key influencers in their lives. That was just the icebreaker. Just like we are in the room now. And they just went one by one by one by one. And it was amazing to me. When I gave that exercise, I didn't know what to expect. But each one of those kids went around the room and named either their father, their mother, or their siblings as the key influencers. Every last one of them. And then it hit me. What kind of influence are we having on our children? Is it good influence? Or is it bad influence? We were speaking yesterday, uh, Doc and I, we were talking about the interview that we saw on TV with Larry King and Rick Warren. Rick Warren, as you know, is an evangelical pastor in California who has greatly impacted the body of Christ and the world. And it is not a secret that Rick Warren only lives on 10% of his income. He gives the other 90% away. So during his dialogue with Larry King, Larry King was asking him, is it a sin to be rich? <laughs> and Rick Warren says, no, not at all. It is not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to die rich. So all of you that have CDs and bank accounts, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It is not a sin to be rich, but it's a sin to die rich. That was deep. And then we began to talk. He said, wait a minute. That is a very coded, deep, profound thing he just said. Because think about it. Why is God giving us the riches? Why is he entrusting you and I with great wealth and with riches? We are blessed to be a blessing. For a purpose. To advance his kingdom. To be a blessing to our generation and generations to come. So, from that we went on and talked about how do we pass that kind of a message to our young people? Well, perhaps maybe to us first. Because if we don't own it, we can give it. How do we own a message like that? And then I remembered all the people I've worked with in the evangelical circles that has been very good stewards of resources and money. How did they get to be like that? And it all comes back to this issue of family. 
what are we teaching our kids? And I'm not speaking about what we say to them when we take them to church. Let me, let me, let me say this. Let me say it like this. The church should not be the places where our children get instructed. The church should only reinforce the instruction we as parents are giving them. So the household should be the very starting place where our kids receive their instruction. So the point is, what are we teaching them? Because kids learn not not by what we say, but what they see. I mean, some of the things I know now, I wish I could go back 20, 25 years, 30 years, when I'm, starting, when I'm raising my children, to redo them. That's the truth. That is the truth. So, if we're going to teach and lead kids, our families, we want to do it God's way. And that's the reason we're going to spend a few hours this morning talking about this. In Genesis chapter 18, God came to Abraham. He was about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said concerning Abraham that he, God, knew that Abraham will command his household after God. Think about that. And for that reason, God was able to entrust much to Abraham because God knew that Abraham would do a good job in transferring what he received from God. I'm even thinking, I'm almost of the opinion now that some of us may not attain to the kind of wealth or be able to receive the kind of resources we want from God because God has already seen the fact that we will not be good stewards in passing it on and doing the right things with them. So we need to make those adjustments. Amen? Lana, I didn't want to sh- sh- shut you up. You were going to say something about leadership? What happened? You, you. Okay. Okay. Change is uneasy. That's good. I talk about takeaway from yesterday. Change is uneasy. So now you appreciate the fact that when you want to make a change, you need to deliberately think about it very well before you can make that change because change is not easy. We, are not, we, we don't feel easy about changes. All right. Any other questions or comments before we move on? The way we're going to do this this morning, there are six short video clips on lead your family like Jesus. And all of these video clips are based upon the foundation of what we launched yesterday. Yesterday, again, remember the four domains of leadership. The heart, the head, the hands, and habits. So now, this is the good thing. This is good news here. Instead of just looking at leading as in church, organizations, and ministry, we need to bring those same truth back home. Husband and wife. Parents and children. Because the principles of the word of God is applicable in every environment. And you may be saying this morning, I don't have any children to raise. Uh, my kids are all grown out of the house. or They are all grown. Fine, that's good. But get that information yourself and be a blessing to somebody else. Amen? So, there are short clips. We're going to come in between, talk about what we see, and, uh, and then once we finish the family stuff, we're going to go back to the issue of the rest of God. Amen. So, 
all your questions, the Holy Spirit will answer them. But if he does not want to answer them, then maybe he wants you to pray so he can come and teach us. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Thank you very much, Dim Delights, and let's go to the first clip. That's the first shot. What was the main point being established in that first clip? Or what did you get out of it? Or did you get anything out of it? Wow. Pastor Amari first. Pastor David next. Biola Bakare, is the mic on? Check it first. I think we hear a lot of these things often, but when you see it in this type of structure, it kind of ministers to you in a certain way. I don't have little children at home. My husband has 14 grandchildren. But it is so apropos for our lives with our grandchildren because we're so close to them. But my understanding of it is how leadership is an influential position. So in every category, in any time that we are dealing with a child, your position must be influential that you make a mark on that child's life through love. Amen. Absolutely. Yes. What's the next person? Oh, Pastor David, yes. What I got out of it is that if care is not taken, you can easily separate your faith from your family life. That's, the, that's a huge point. Yeah. Hey, I'm the first offender. It's, it's true. I mean, if you, that's a very huge point. We put on our church cap, we come to church. Ministry cap, we go do ministry. And when you get at home, you totally separate those principles that you've learned in church from your home setting. Wow. I pray that every parent or everyone who has the opportunity to influence a child will remember that our faith is not off and on. It's always on. In Jesus' name. Huge statement, sir. Thank you so much for that uh, comment. Yes, go ahead. And also, either you know it or not, everybody in the family realize that you're doing that if you are a leader of your family, if you are the pastor or you are the uh, mother trying to lead your family, the children realize that their family is not Christ-centered. Amen. That you are they're dealing with dad, they're dealing with mom, they're not really dealing with a Christ-centered family. Amen. They know it, you might not know it. Amen. I mean, did you hear what that man said? Asking his kids if, in fact, their family was Christ-centered? And the child didn't want to answer because she knew that, hey, this tyrant father, this is, this is not, nothing close to the Bible she, Jesus she sees in the Bible. But then upon encouragement, she, felt, she said, no, it's not like that. The good news is, listen, no matter where you are now, we can make the change. We can definitely make the change. And that's the purpose of us coming together, sharing together, so we can learn and then be equipped to really lead our families the way God will want us to lead them. Don't, you can't change the past. You can only live the future. So no matter what, where you are, just remember you can make the change. Amen? Anybody else? I think Biola is done for you. He said it. 
Okay. Did anybody else have any comment? Is there any question? Was it good? Was it, was it, did you learn something? When we say leading is serving, what does serving mean? Let's break that down. I don't want to assume that we all understand what serving means. How, how do you serve as a leader? What does that mean? Helping? Pardon me? You give from yourself. Pardon me? Personal sacrifice. Putting others first. Encouraging. Pardon me? You deny yourself. Okay. Affirming. All of these things are true. All of them. All of them. And Jesus is our biggest example and role model for loving, serving leadership. John 13, verses 1 through 7. That's what all of that was about. Moments before he went to the cross. The Bible talked about how in verse 1, he loved his disciples. And having loved them until the end. That's huge. Because I can love Dr. Norfolk as long as he's agreeable to me and he's affirming me and encouraging me. But the Bible says Jesus just need to love those guys, but he loved them all the way to the end. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Why is that so huge? That is so huge because in that room that night was also Judas Iscariot, who moments later would betray him, and he knew it. So this loving, serving leadership did not discriminate against Judas Iscariot who was about to betray him. He loved him nonetheless. I'm saying this because if we are going to love and serve with our love and lead with our serving, then it cannot be discriminate. It cannot be, we cannot love the people that we just agree with and don't love the people we don't agree with. That will be self-serving leadership. Servant leadership serves and loves everybody. Do, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Jesus is the example. He's the model. Now, we did a foot washing exercise yesterday. And in John 13, we saw how Jesus did that. And he told them, he told them very, very clearly that what he did for those guys was an example for them to follow. In the West, it is difficult for you and I to really fully understand what Jesus did in washing the feet of those guys. Mind you, in ancient Palestine, they did not have tarred roads. Mind you, in ancient Palestine, they did not have uh, Salvatore Ferragamo shoes. They didn't have Gucci shoes. They didn't have all these nice shoes. They only wore sandals. Mind you, it was an agrarian economy with agriculture and animals all over the place. So you can just imagine the animal droppings on all the streets. So people are moving around and when you enter a house, it was customary that the owner of the house or the host or the 
or the person who, whose house you are visiting provided a washing. Understanding that you've been coming from a long distance, you got to the house, and now your feet are dirty. And that job was reserved back in the day for the lowest of the lowest of the slaves. Even a head slave would not do that job. It was reserved for the least of all the slaves to wash the feet. So Jesus understood that. The disciples understood that. And so, think of it this way, because we are talking about leading like Jesus, both our family and our ministries. We are talking about serving leadership, not self-serving leadership. Think about what Jesus had to do to, in order to wash this feet. And the Bible took us through the process. He took off his garment. Why? Because God wants you to know this was not an accidental service. It was a deliberate, well thought out moment to serve. He took it unguarded himself. He put on his towel. So deliberately, he went through the steps of debasing himself in order to offer or give a service to the needy disciples. It cost him something, if you will. So, as we lead our families and lead our ministries, we must always be mindful that it may cost us. Now, I was asking, what do we... You guys give all the good reasons for serving. So, sometimes when you talk about servant leadership, people think it's just about doing menial jobs alone. No, it's not just that alone. If a brother needs encouragement and you offer a word of encouragement, you've served them. Uh, if somebody was having some challenges, maybe financially, and God has enabled you to do something about it, and you do something about it, you've served them. Uh, somebody needs a ride to go do something, and you have a car, and you're you know, you able to do so, you do it, you've served them. You've gone out of your way. You've inconvenienced yourself to offer service that brings joy to somebody else. That's what service is all about. I just want to make sure we understand what it means. A brother comes to town, they are discouraged, they need some time for ministry or encouragement, and you sit down there with him for, for five minutes, ten minutes, with minutes, one hour, two hours, as long as they you've served the brother. You've added something of value to somebody else to enable them to make it for another day. That's what serving means. And every true serving, hmm, hear this, will depreciate you some. Either take away from your time, take away from your from some quality of living that you used to. Yesterday something was said that I, I don't think I can ever forget it. My God, the man who said most kings and heads send people to the war to die. But our king, the king of kings, didn't send us out to die. He died for us. My God. Now I truly understand the meaning of 
is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The other kings will send men out to go and die for them. But he didn't send us out to die. He died for us. There is no greater service than that. The ultimate prize, the ultimate sacrifice. Amen? Good. All right. Let's go into the second clip. So again, as you watch the second clip, just be mindful, just take mental notes. Um, actually, in your notebook, there are some notes that go along with this video clip. And there's actually a book that gives you more details on this. I'll t- talk to you about that later on. Clip number two. Thank you. How was that? Did we learn anything? Keeping the eternal perspective. How about that guy, Charlie Tremendous Jones? The guy that had prostate cancer? Who his friends and families were praying for to, to be healed? Did you hear his perspective? Is there anybody here this morning that's afraid of death? Or dying? <laughs> Where are you looking at me? <laughs> are you looking at me funny? I'm not inviting anybody to be fatalistic or sadistic. What I'm saying, if that's a thought that dominates your mind and you are fearful of that, it could be because of a lack of eternal perspective. Paul, in his, human, in his humanity, said to us, for him to die is what? Gain. And for him to live is Christ. You cannot say that mentally unless you know something in your heart. And this whole message just now is dealing with the heart. Do we really, truly believe? Remember from Tuesday when I was talking about on the grand scheme of things it comes down to the issue of believing do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he lived died was buried and rose again from the dead do we truly really duly believe that when we are able to resolve and settle that it changes everything everything Now, again, please, I'm not asking anyone to go and die. But I think it was very interesting what Tremendous Jones told uh, Ken Blanchard. When Ken told him that when he gets there, he should let him know what the the place was like. He said, if I told you so, you commit suicide. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. That's a very healthy feeling. To, 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 To see life from that prism, from that perspective. Eternal perspective. Any thoughts? What did you take away from that? Wow, this is deep. Nobody's saying anything? Yes, thank you for delivering me. <laughs> Pass it back on to her. My thought is Jesus was the product of a God-centered family. 
therefore the concept of obedience hmm. was automatic. We have God-centered families, but our children are not obedient. Our children are not obedient. Why is that so? I would say it's, it's not so. Uh, we have God-centered families, but we were not born God-centered. We have learned to focus on God. Uh, we're all born unfortunately with the Adam nature so our children have to go through the same transformation that we have gone through so even though they see it there's a pull we call it peer pressure and other things yeah. so every day they're faced with the decision to be popular or not so I can think of my eldest son whenever we've had the discipline in him when he was in the home he never rejected the discipline. He never gave an excuse for his errors. Whenever he was caught, challenged, what have you, it was never no argument. I, I did it. I suffered the consequences. So he knew truth. He knew what was right. But I think he also knew he made a conscious decision to do whatever he wanted to do. Amen. We had something? Yes. Uh, this particular teaching is very personal to me, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's something that was said on the video that says uh, the enemy could easily sell a lie to us that our self worth is equal to our performance plus the opinion of others. Yes. My 21-year-old daughter, from the first year in college, she has graduated now. She's going on to law school next month. But from the first year in college, we're not come back home for holiday. It was a struggle. And just to go with what Pastor Davis said, I think looking back in retrospect, I was heavy on punishments, heavy on consequence, but very, uh, very minimal on love. It's not that I didn't love my kids, of course. I take it to a personal goal that every year, at least we have two, three, four vacation together as a family. But that does not equal what she was looking for. I remember the first year in college, I went to anyone that could listen to me at Howard, including a counselor, the head of the department, to tell them, send her out of, uh, of the hostel once the school is over. And I remember my wife was with me remember one of the counselors looked at me and said, no, we cannot. And for a long time, I could not understand why it was like that. Uh, until recently, when I was having a conversation with you, 
and you said it looks like you are handling this situation from the perspective of fear and listening to this I realized that over the years my goal I mean what has been driving me is that opinion of others pastors key what are this person going to say true or mean they're good kids. I just, I guess it was my pride. It was my expectation. I was aging God out based on fear. And I was warning everybody to death. You know, they're not having a good time. You know, she was miserable. They were miserable. And I was miserable. Until recently, I just applied grace. I remember I was in D.C. about a month ago and I was doing a project uh, that will require some time for that project to be ready. And I said to myself, I said, listen, she's right there down the street. I'm going to be in D.C. for the next three hours. So I picked up the phone and I said, Lola, are you there? I'm in D.C. It's going to take about three hours. Can we have lunch? I said, Daddy, I'm in the ocean. Come and pick me up. And by the time I went and picked her up and we went for lunch, it was the best lunch I've ever had in a long time. Hallelujah. It was the best lunch I've ever had. And when I left that lunch, and I said to myself, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sorry about that. Uh, I guess in conclusion I just want to uh, share my personal testimony and also I want to thank you thank you mama for that one day tree that you made to come down to Maryland and that five minutes that you said don't don't wait for her to come in but rather you reach out and that day was the beginning of a turnaround nothing major has happened yet she's still at school she still insisted that listen I'm going to stay throughout at school 
But I'm beginning to understand that maybe, just maybe, out of my own pride, I was looking at my performance and the opinion of others as myself was. And, uh, and, and I have driven her to the other side. This is a girl that right from the beginning has been an impression, has led our praise worship very, very, uh, very consistent. She dropped out of priesting. She dropped out of church functions completely. And uh, she used to come to church. And when she comes, by the way, she dropped us off at the airport here, yeah? right, you know, when we were coming on this trip. And, uh, and every time I have opportunity with her, she loves it. There was a time she called months ago. And she said, I'm suicidal. It's almost about a year now. She said that to a friend. And that friend called me. And I drove down to DC to meet with her. And in our conversation, she said, Daddy, I'm not living up to your expectation. I don't think you love me. And I said to her, why in the world will you think that I don't love you? And she said, my other daughter is doing everything you want. She went to the media. She's doing well. I'm not doing what you want. I said, no, you are not her. You are your own person. And I love you with all my heart. So, in all over the years, apparently, she's not saying, even though I thought I was doing my best, I believe I was giving everything that I could give. But to her, what she sees is that you are this man of God and all that you want is for me to fit in the model. Regardless of what I want, you just want, it's about you, it's not about me. You want to protect your image, look good, let everybody say, yeah. And it was a struggle. But I thank God for my covering, Papa and Mama, and for being there, for being there, because I, today, wouldn't have, have a clue of how to handle this. Because over the years, I see it from my own lens only. And I see that, look, listen, you're wrong, you're wrong and you are wrong and every time I come down with the wrong allegations and the judgment 
and the beating with with my belt and all that. And every time I come down with that, I don't realize that actually I'm driving them out completely. But I thank God and I'm sharing this. Maybe we'll help somebody here. Amen. Because we are all pastors. Amen. Amen. And please, your self-worth does not equal performance and opinion of others. Amen. That does not equal yourself. I'm dealing with it. I'm working with it every day. Getting the understanding. And I just want to say thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and transparent and sharing part of your life with us. Um, let, let me just say to us that whatever hardship or challenges that we may personally go through, have the eternal perspective. By that I'm saying, you will never know when God will use your experience to minister and become a blessing to somebody else. Yes, it's true. My wife and I spent a day with you. Uh, we flew up to Maryland in the morning and came back at night, same day. But we could do that, David Sumbo and everybody else. Because maybe 14, 15 years ago, I can't remember now, 13 years ago. Uh, and this is not a secret. My son, my first son, in his first year in college, uh, had a child. That was not what we taught him, that was not what we expected. That definitely was not what we were looking for. And he was so afraid to tell me when the young lady he was with became pregnant. Uh, he had to write it in a letter to me. On my birthday, put the letter under my pillow. And through that, broke the news to me. And in my agonizing moments, just crying and just totally, completely uh, chattered, disappointed, upset, angry, all the emotions you want, you can, all the words you can ever think of. I mean, it was as if my world came crushing to an end that day. I will never forget what I'm about to tell you. As I was crying and asking God, why? How can this be? Why? How can this happen? Where did I miss it? What did I do wrong? How did the message not get across? Particularly because it's hot in here. Why you guys keep on turning the AC off? This is July, please. Thank you, thank you. Particularly because this was a very bright young man, had a full scholarship in college, 
And as we struggled about which college for him to go, I will never forget this. We struggled. I mean, where should he go? Because he had scholarship, he could go anywhere. I was on an airplane on my way to Chicago. When God spoke to me and said, release him to go to South Carolina. Because now, in this agonizing moment, I'm asking God, did I miss it because I let him go away? Should I have kept him? And I will never forget what God said to me. God did not answer my question with a statement. He answered my question with another question. He said, Bank, why are you upset? Comma. Is it because your son sinned against me or is hurting your pride? Are you agonizing because of how he has offended me, your heavenly father? Or how he has bruised your pride? Your name. Your belief system. That was God speaking to me. Whoa. You cannot lie before God. I could not lie in that moment to God and say I'm pained because of how he offended God. To be honest with you, I did not even think about God. I'm thinking about myself. How am I going to handle this? What is going to happen? How will I tell the church? How will I tell my parents? How will I tell my friends? On and on and on and on and on. Those were the predominant thoughts. God was not in the equation. Now, I answered the question honestly. I said, God, I am in the least concerned about you. You can take care of yourself. I'm hurt because of me. Then God said something else that became a God said, Bank, you will not forget this day because now you realize every time you bank Akimola disobey me. The pain you feel right now, that's what I feel. (laughs) Woo! And in that moment, my healing began. In that self moment, the healing began. So I share that because I want you to know, God wants us to know all of these experiences, all of these things, by having an eternal perspective, we can always take these things. It's happened. You cannot fix your past. You can fix your future. But somebody else can get a benefit out of that. It was out of that, in his time of need, that we had something to offer. Are you following what I'm saying to you? But Pastor David, I want you to know, what God began, you will finish. The list of your concerns should be when she's in the prison worship, whether she's playing the drums or the keyboard, leave that to God. That God who has begun this good work, he will finish it. And when he finishes it, it will be marvelous in all of our eyes. Just love them unconditionally. Because in his case, I know him very well. I know him and his wife very well. Yes, they love their kids too, in fact, almost too much. They do. There's no doubt about that. 
But the enemy will distort and change and give all kinds of impressions and all kinds of stuff that mess everything up. Let's just love them. But not only that, let me, let me also share this with everybody. As leaders, and in particular now in the homes, in the family, if you have three children or two children or four of them, don't make the mistake of leading all of them the same way. Leaders who lead leaders don't lead people by the same way. I'm going to say that again. Leaders who lead other leaders don't lead in exact same way. Now, leaders who lead followers has a generic blank way of leading everybody. We see this every day. Let's just use our, our sports world to, to, make it clear, to make it plain, and I'm going to uh, give it to you in the scriptures in a minute as well. If, for those of you that are not American football, it's fourth quarter, half a yard to go, five seconds left in the clock, who are you going to give ball to? Are you going to look at your bench and look at, oh, man, dog has not had the ball for, for the last two quarters. Let me, let me, are you going to use how long, how long it's been before dog has the ball to determine the play you're going to send to the field? Or are you going to find your best person to get that half a yard so you can make a touchdown? <laughs> you have to use what's happening to determine what call you make. We see that all the while in sports. And we see that with Jesus himself. He had the twelve, he had the three, and he had what? The one. He had the twelve, he had the three, and he had the one. Who was the one? John. Who were the three? John, Peter, James. And then you have the rest of them. Did he love all of them? Absolutely. Absolutely. He loved them all. But you assess for your children where each one of them is and you adjust your leadership to them based on their developmental level. You assess each of the children. God's giving you wisdom. You know them. You assess them. And you now adjust your leadership to fit where they are. Not for them as children to fit where you are. They are kids. That's why they are kids. You have more life experience. So you make the adjustment to meet them where they are. That's why God came from heaven down to where we are in the earth. He could have remained in heaven and said, buddy, catch up with me in heaven. The best way you can. So we have to adjust our leadership level to their developmental level and connect with them. But we have to do that for each one of them uniquely because God has something for them other than from one another. Huge. We need to make those adjustments. Amen? 
Anyone else? Yes. You have to come up here, Brother We cannot make an adjustment to you where you are. You are just to us. Mine will be a question. Yes. And based on what you just uh, explained now, and I understand the fact that you know you have to make adjustments with the child, but uh, how do you make a balance of the delicate, the delicate balance of trying to, in, the, in your bit of trying to lead different children based on where they are? How do you make that adjustment that they don't think you are partial or you are you are not showing them fairness, so to say? Okay. Okay, I hear your question. So that you don't think there's favoritism. Okay. First of all, when I say you lead them based on where they are, you have to understand the foundation and the ground rule that you love all of them unconditionally. Okay? But by leading them differently, you have to talk to them and let them know John is gifted in this area and Sally is gifted in this different area. Or the potential for John is this way and the potential for Sally is this way. You explain it. You talk to them. And because of that distinction of whatever the gifting is or the passion is or what you are sensing that God is trying to do in the lives of these kids, and by the way, God shows us as parents, if we're intuitive enough, we know potentially what each child is, is likely going to, uh, what, what their likely passion is, and we begin to nurture and develop that. The example for that is, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, this guy with the braids. Um, uh, Samson, where God clearly came and said to them, uh, to Manoah, that, uh, what's that? What? Oh. The locks of hair on his head, I call that bridge. Yeah. So God reveals that to us. And on the basis of what we know, we begin to help those kids develop in those areas, but we explain to them, we carry them along, all of them, and we love all of them, absolutely, but we just help them to understand the differences. And in fact, as they grow up, it will be a blessing to them because they've seen it done in their own family situation. So when they grow up, they take that with them. There's not, there's not a one-time formula to, to doing that. It's a constant talking, constant communication, constant, constant carrying those children along, helping them to know the differences and the distinctions while at the same time loving them absolutely and meeting all of their needs as God gives us the grace and the ability to do so. Does, does that help at all? In each case, it's going to be unique and different. And that's why, the parent, that's why parenting calls for wisdom. The, the, I cannot give you one, a formula. I just give you a principle. That, but the principle, you're going to have to take it to your home setting and find the application. Does that make sense? But you can look at your children, you can tell, you can see. I mean, you, you'll be able to know. But you explain, you communicate, Above all, you love them all unconditionally. And they need to hear that. On and on and on and on. Now, what I did not finish in my story is, based on what happened to my first son, for a long time, the fear locked in my head that my other son may probably do the same thing. For a long, long, long time. And so finally... In a place of prayer, I, I, and the way this fear, the way this fear operates, I mean, when the kids are playing at, uh, when they are, when they are playing, so what are they doing? What they are playing? Uh, when they are in school, I wonder what they are doing. I mean, you just your mind is just 
That fear will wear you out if you allow it to do so. Every time they are not with you, you're wondering what are they doing? Who are they talking to? What are they saying? When they're in their bedroom, what are they doing? What are they saying? What are they watching? What are they doing on the internet? What are they doing on TV? My, it, my head was going on 24-7. 24-7. How old is Faith now? Are you sure it's 22? Okay, she knows, okay. So 22 going on 23. Okay. All right. On his 21st birthday, to show you how recent this is, on his 21st birthday, I did, I, I, I did a deliberate thing based on the wisdom that, wisdom that God gave me. On that morning, I called him into my bedroom. We had a conversation. Talked to him. And I, what I'm saying to you, I said it to him. The fear, the concern that I've carried over the years as a result of what happened with his brother and how because of that I've, I've tried to uh, micromanage him and, 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 and the kind of... Uh, we, we, all the nine years, I've just laid it all out to him. But I said today, at 21, I'm releasing you completely to God. I said, kneel down. I lay hands on him, prayed for him, a prayer of release. From this day forward, you are no longer my, my obligation. I can't keep you any longer. I give you totally, completely over to God. Where God leads you, you go. What God shows you, you do. I can't follow you where you're going. I can't keep on thinking about what you're doing. I give it all completely, totally to God. That prayer was as much for him as it was for me. It was my own deliverance. <laughs> Amen. I prayed it on him. <laughs> Done. I've not had to think about that since. That's it. It's over. Man, life is a lot easier like that than the way I carried that body before. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Praise God. Yes. Amen, sir. I just want to kind of say a little bit of, uh, I mean, to add more to what Pastor, Pastor Larry asked. Uh, concerning the kids in the house, we have five. And all five of them, they are different uh, nature. They are not the same. And other than that, some are brilliant than the other. We have one with medical situation that all you need to do in that situation is to let all your children know what is going on among all of them. So when you are leaning towards this person this time, they know that person is in need of that, your extra love at that time. It's not that you're leaving her or him to be with him alone. Let all your children know, oh, your sister is struggling in math. So I'm going to spend more time with her. Or oh, your brother is going to go to the hospital for a procedure. I'm going to be in the hospital with him. You have to carry all of them along. Don't let any of your child be in the dark thinking, oh, mommy don't love me like he loves the other person. That's what I've been doing, and it somehow helps. Because when I was raising the three before we had it, the two, 
my middle child, she's kind of struggling with school. But our oldest, the one he's talking about, very brilliant. Before you show something to her, she must um, just do it. But she was struggling. The younger sister was struggling at the time. And she would look at her like, oh, can I ever meet up with her? And then I would sit with her, give her extra time with little I know, just to help her to come up a little bit. So that's what we've been. You have to look for a way to balance. You have to know your child and let the rest of the siblings know what is going on with this other person. So when you're spending extra time, they will know you're not being partial. It's just that that person needs your love more, your time and love at that time. And just to add one more thing, because I think we are test case now. <laughs> I remember my son uh, that has medical challenge yes. said to us that open several times. He said, listen, I cannot be like my sisters. You are trying to... And we said, no, you, we don't, because he is struggling at school, big time. So when we go to school to meet, have a meeting because of his grade, and he will come back home extremely worried, frustrated, and crying. And he said, how come I cannot get it just like the other two? How come I'm not doing well? I said, listen, you have some things that you are good at. Amen. They are not good at. Amen. So you focus on your strength. Amen. Stop comparing yourself. Amen. And I think that has helped a lot. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. It's 11.30. We've been here since 9.30. Let's take a 15-minute break. We'll be back at 11.45. If you can hold your thought, huh? Are you going to be all right? Should we talk to these teenagers so that they know whether they want to have children or not? <laughs> because these are deep, deep, deep things that even me at my age and stage, I am sitting down and saying, Lord, help me. You know, they are deep. They are the only one you are there that you know this. Uh, it just, it just think you know, having children is is just, it's just something that comes natural, and we just go through the motion. But if you want to do it God's way, yeah, yes, sir. You know, <laughs> you know, if you want to raise them right, it entails different things. Dynamics are totally different, and if we can teach them this ahead of time. Some, you know, I'm sure some of them will say, I give up on that. I take a pass. Uh, just a thought, sir. You know, no matter what you tell them, you have to, like you said, leave them into the hands of the Lord. Teach them the right thing. Tell them the, the, uh, the good thing and also the bad thing, you know. And once you give them into the hands of the Lord, your, your, your job is done. They can do whatever they have to do, but at least you show them the right way. You know, and he said, stop worrying. I worry too, but still, I, I told them this is the right thing to do. Don't do this, don't do that. You know, you have to tell them. They will be like, okay, why did she say that I shouldn't do this? Tell them the reason. Because I have to go to classes. I went to classes and I told them, we are all adults. You know, I know we have pastors, and, but still we have to go down into this thing. We're talking about sex. Yes, it is. We have to lay it down. We have to spell it out to them. When I said don't do don't do blowjobs, I know what I'm doing because they will say, okay, I will use condom. Yes, you can use condom, but once you use once you do the uh, blowjobs and you apply condom, condom is torn. 
That is how they get pregnant. That is how, you know, you have to let them know. If you don't spell it out, if you don't lay it down to them, they won't know. Or they will still do what they have to do. But tell them and tell them, I put you in the hands of God. Let God take total control of them. Yeah. From the, from the heart to the head. Amen. You know, um, did anyone receive anything of value to that? Because what I received from it was prioritizing. Sometimes in, in families, if you're not busy, you're some, and especially those of us that are in ministry, we have so many things pulling at us. We have our families. We have the church. We have the mission work. We have so many things this, uh, you know, pulling on our time. So we have to begin to what? Prioritize. First of all, you know, the word of God tells us to love our God with all our heart and all our mind and all everything. We have to love him. So we have to definitely prioritize having quality time with God. Amen? Because it's just as Jesus did, he spent time with the Father to know what to do before he went out during the day. So I encourage all of us to make sure that we spend quality time with God. He should be number one, uno. Is that how you say it in Spanish? Uno. Amen. Uno. He should be number one on our agenda. Amen. So when you have that quiet time with God, then he can begin to tell us what to do for that day. Even though we have ministry, we have children, we have careers, God will begin to orchestrate what to do. I remember when we, as, as Bank and I um, began ministry, um, I was actually working at the time, and my husband was actually being a daddy, just a house dad, taking care of the children. And all of a sudden, you know, after seven years of me just carrying the, the responsibility of the house, the responsibility of the ministry, um, the Holy Spirit came and said, it's time now that you go home and you be a wife and you take care of the children and you just help your husband with, in the ministry. So it was like, okay, Lord, I leave this terrific, fantastic career, right? I leave this all this financial money that I'm making, and this is what we're living on. But God began to tell me, it's not, you're not living on your salary. I am your sustainer. And we had to begin to hear and shift. Okay, I, I, I'm going to rely on you because at the time, I was the only one working. My husband was a house dad. Amen. And But while he was getting the house dead, he was also getting filled with the Spirit of God, being tall and trained of the Lord. And so when I called Tom one day from work, I said, Honey, I believe the Holy Spirit this year when we go on our mission work, on our mission trip, I'm not to return back to work. He said, Well, you're not going to have any problems with me with that. You just come on home because they had been asking me, the husband and the children, you know, Mom, Mom, you know, come home. And I said, Come home. But I, we, how are we going to survive? But when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and say, release everything. Okay, we went on a mission trip that year. Neither one of us was working, but we were working for God. Amen. When we came back, 
praise God. That's when I decide. That's when God revealed to me I was pregnant. Okay, with Faith, our um, unexpected baby. <clears throat> what ten years of a? Well, anyway, God was faithful because of our obedience to release work and just follow His voice. He was faithful. That's when Pastor Bank really became totally gracefully anointed to me. And doors of opportunity begin to open. So God let's know that if we prioritize our lives, he will supply our needs. He will meet our needs. Amen? So at the time, you know, the Lord was sharing with me um, and my husband that someone have to stand guard over the household, over the children, while the others are out in the field doing the, doing the work of the Lord. So even though I was home with the children, and I'm speaking probably to some of the wives and even some of the husbands, I felt like, Lord, I'm just, I'm not doing anything important. What is this? Changing diapers, fixing meals. Is that important? You know, that seemed mediocre, you know, understand? But he said, no, you'll be faithful over that because, you know, being in the ministry, we have to make sure that even though we're saving, want to be a savior to the world, someone needs to make sure that we're guarding our doors of our homes also. And if possible, not just just by doing prayer, but we may need to physically stand guard. So when I realized the value of being a house mother, a housewife, that it wasn't mediocre. It was, it was a calling. It's a, it was a, 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 a great calling because now I'm watching over the souls of these little children growing up. And these little children, we never knew, just like Mary never knew, oh, yeah, she, sort of, she should have known, that Jesus was going to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. Amen that he was going to grow to be the savior of the world. So I'm looking at now, okay, I'm home with these children. Um, um, and see, yo, guys, this wasn't, he didn't supposed to take a bathroom break, but he did. <laughs> but anyway, when, when, we, when I knew that I was home, and this is a great honor to be able to raise children and to pray for them and to stand in the gap. It was awesome. So I took my calling very serious and have been doing that now for, oh, I guess even up until now, it's been over 23 years. But God has done wonderful things. Even when the enemy came in, which my husband shared with you about the oldest son uh, at 19 years old, um, I never stopped thanking God for whatever was happening in our lives because even though it was a, um, a hurt and a disappointment as parents. But God had me, because I had been praying and thinking, you know, taking care of those kids all those years, that this is not going to be the end of whatever I called him to be. He was actually going to even do greater other things than we could have even imagined, not to give up on him and to love him even in spite of, and to know that the word that we had placed in him, you know, the word of God said that if you train them up in the way, if you place that word in them, you train them in the way, they're not going to go that far. They, they may try to stray away, but they will come back. 
So that was all the promises that I could begin to stand on and believe God. And God definitely brought him back. That boy today just got married three weeks ago. Amen. Three weeks ago, at 33 years old, now he's fully uh, uh, the man that God has wanted him to, to be. And um, we just thank God for the transformation. Amen. But what I was saying about this part was, you know, finding value. What God is calling you and your household, what values and prioritizing what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. Amen. Praise God. Pastor Bank. <laughs> so any any thoughts from the message you listen to? Should we teach on family values or are you guys comfortable? Yes, go ahead. Cup the mic. sessions, Pastor Banks sharing, Pastor Sharon's sharing, Pastor D is sharing, just brought to, I was talking to my husband, just brought back to, to me an area where there's just so many variables, Pastor Bank, you know, and we thank God for the heart, the head, and you know, there's sometimes you don't even know what is going on? What is going on? You, you do what you think is the best at the same time. But unknown to you, there's so much going on underneath. And, you know, sometimes it's like you've, we've taught, you've applied the formulas. I was just talking to my husband that um, God's mercy God's mercy helped us because um, at, I think I was 36, and my ex-husband left, and I had two little boys, and I raised them. Well, God helped me for 13 years, and, um, and I threw myself into ministry, and I put everything in ministry, and I carried my kids night vigil would carry the comforter <laughs> sleeping at the back of the comforter convention I'm carrying them you know everything pulling them along and my kids were Christian kids and my older son went to college and he wouldn't go to church Shango did you go to church no mommy okay try try go next week but you know everything like Pastor Bank said you know you done everything, put them in God's hands. But it wasn't until my husband's 60th birthday, and some of you were there, and my first son said his heart was hard against God. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. He said his heart was hardened against God, because my ex-husband was a pastor. And it took 
my husband to explain to him just by adopting him. He said that was how he understood how he was adopted by God as God's son. Because a man who was not his father adopted him. And that's what brought him back to God. Mm. Thank you Lord Jesus. My, my son had a hard heart against God. And he would follow me to church. I just thought, you know, his age, these kids are not interested in church, but you know, they'll come along. I didn't know that I had a heathen in my house. I was waiting till he would start walking in the house and forget about God. And I thought my son was a Christian. And I had done everything I, need, I knew to do. And I had put everything. He was just saying, let me just hear more mommy. <laughs> when I leave this house, it's over. Let me just follow mommy. Mommy loves God. Mommy's a fanatic. Let's just, mm. let's just coast along with mommy. Mm. And uh, mommy thought her son was serving God. Mm-hmm. He was a good kid. He was obedient. He didn't do drugs. He didn't, I didn't, I mean, I knew there were things happening on campus, but he didn't bring any girl to the house. But he was heading for And, and he didn't bring any boys to the house either. He didn't bring any, <laughs> I didn't bring any boys. <laughs> but he was going to hell. And I didn't know it. And I was busy saving souls, laying hands on the sick, casting out demons, preaching, and in my house. My son was not, he didn't have a heart for God. Until he said it. Pastor Bank, you were there. Yes, yes. My husband's brother. He said, if I said this man taught me what it meant to be adopted by God, that my heart was hard towards God. And I was a preacher. Mm. And I'd done everything. And I was telling my husband, if not for God's mercy, if not for God's mercy, I would never have known. He would leave my house. It would be impossible to bring him back to God. And you know, my husband was saying, if I had married somebody who wasn't a godly example, because getting married, I had to leave the church. That would have just finished this boy. That not only did his father, serving God, leave him, then the church threw his mother out. God. He would never have gone back to Man. God. That is deep. But God's mercy, God's wow. mercy used him, even though I'm not the best wife, but, but God's mercy used him. You are the best one for him. Boy. Bring him back to God. And today, he is so fervent for God. Today, he's, Jesus. he's doing so much in the church. The younger one who I thought was going to be the pastor is the social butterfly. Sometimes God just has mercy, and there are no, there are no formulas, you know. No. Sometimes you just, you just don't know what these children are doing. Only God knows what's inside their hearts. Amen. You know, Amen. and um, Pastor, do you be encouraged? Amen. You even knew what was going on with your daughter. I they had no clue. Amen. That this boy was waiting to get out and just Amen. God. Amen. But Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Can we just lift, get up and just lift up our hands before God and just bless God for his mercies, his faithfulness, his 
It's wonder, it's everlasting love, everlasting kindness. Don't let's take this moment for granted that God will bring us together to have us encourage one another and just bless his name and just honor his name that whatever the enemy has planned for us and for our children, we know that God has already thwarted that plan, aborted that plan, frustrated that plan of the enemy. We know that we are whole in Christ Jesus. We know that us and our families have been redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing the enemy can bring out throughout us can prosper in the name of Jesus. Let's just bless him. My Lord and God, we bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you. We give you praise. We recognize and acknowledge you as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, eternal rock of ages. Oh, Lord God, you alone is the most high God. And besides you, Lord God, there's none else. That's why we worship you this morning. That's why we praise your name. We thank you so much for your everlasting love. We thank you that with your love and with your loving kindness, you have called us. You have established us. You are growing us. You are delivering us. You are blessing us. And so we just lift up our hands towards you. We just say, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Thank you, Father God, for leading us and guiding us in your name's sake, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for all the wonderful victories, all the deliverances, all the challenges you brought us through. And through it all, we are wiser, we are growing, we are maturing, we are standing, we are still here. The enemy has not destroyed us. We thank you, Lord God, that through you, we are more than conquerors because you love us already. And thank you, Father God, that because you are for us, no one can be against us, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, that no weapons that's formed or fashioned or thrown at us, at our children, at our family, none of them can prosper. Why? Because we have you. You are a rock. You are high tower. You are buckler. You are shield. You are Lord God Almighty. You are the Jehovah Lord God Almighty. We bless you. We praise you, Lord God. We magnify you, Father God. Thank you for families that you are restoring. Thank you for families you are, you are mending. Thank you for families that you are, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are fixing, Lord God. Thank you for families, God, that you are bringing back into alignment. You are restoring relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between parents and their uh, children and their parents, Father. Thank you for restoration all around us, turning us around, changing us around, blessing us around. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, we bless you, we give you the honor and the glory. We thank you that our families will live for God. Our families will stand for righteousness. Our family will stand for uprightness. Father, in the name of Jesus, we reject any notion that any one of our families will be lost in the name of Jesus. You are the God of household salvation. We claim and receive household salvation for every member of our family. Near and